Welcome to the Journal.ie's The Explainer, where every week we take a deep dive into a different news story. I'm Sinead O'Carroll, and this week, why are your insurance premiums increasing by so much? Insurance, it's an inescapable fact of life, mandatory for drivers, necessity for business owners, the first thing on the list for house buyers. But obviously, when there's such a demand, there's obviously huge profit, and no more so than in Ireland in 2019. We are told to shop around for the best premiums and that that can help. But increasingly, we're hearing frustrated car and business owners who simply can't get cover. Or if they are able to get cover, they're quoted astronomical prices by all firms. So what is going on? Sinn Féin's Pierce Doherty in the Oireachtas Committee actually shone a bit of a light on that. 19 cases by the entire industry were reported to the Gardaí between October and March. Now, if FBD are telling us that between 10 and 15,000 are fraudulent, and Alliance and AXA will tell us roughly the same, we had the 20% figures and all the rest, it doesn't add up. Or if it does add up, you don't give a damn about it because you aren't reporting them. In a way, we're kind of left now with more questions than answers. Are we any closer to knowing why premiums are skyrocketing? And more importantly, how can we change it? We're going to be chatting to a few people in the know on this episode, including Pierre Stardy, who's in studio with us here, and later Peter Boland of the Alliance for Insurance Reform. But first up is the Journal.ie's reporter Orla Dwyer, who is making her The Explainer debut. And Orla, you've just completed a fact check on all of this. So I'm going to hit you with some quick fire questions so that really I can get through the next 20 minutes because there is kind of a glossary that we need to know. Um, and just to establish some of this facts as well, like how much are insurance companies actually making at the moment? Well, Sinead, it's actually been a, a pretty interesting week. There are some huge stats I'm about to hit you with. So in 2018, AXA actually made profits of about 89 million euro. Uh, Allianz made about 37 million euro profit and FBD made around 50 million euro last year. So it's it's quite huge in terms of the profits they're making. They're doing well. Yeah, they're doing well. That's one way to put it. And it was actually reported in June that in 2017, uh, profits from that year, they actually grew by 1,300%. So that's a combined profit of 227 million euro. So the insurance firms who offer these types of insurance, 1300% increase. Yeah. Whoa. So can I, you just explain as well why we're looking at, when we're talking about premiums on this episode, we're looking at home, business and car premiums. Why those three in particular? Uh, well, the main focus of the Oireachtas Committee anyways, in terms of the 20% claim made by members of the insurance industry. So they were saying that 20% of claims that they receive are either potentially fraudulent or exaggerated in the personal injury field. So these claims are made through home business and car insurance, not health insurance. Okay, so we really won't be looking at health insurance today, even though there is obviously increased premiums there as well. Because of that, because we're looking at personal injury claims, we'll be talking a lot or hearing a lot about something called the Book of Quantum. What is that? The Book of Quantum is actually a book of guidelines uh, set out by the Personal Injuries Assessment Board for the amounts that can be awarded for personal injury claims. However, these guidelines are actually set to be changed sometime soon. So the Judicial the judicial Council Bill was passed by the Oireachtas on the 9th of July and these will set greater and more detailed guidelines for the damages awarded to different types of personal injury because at the moment with the Book of Quantum, uh, the guidelines are very loose and there's no actual definitive limit to the amounts that can be awarded. So say I, I don't know, I go out into the shop next door and I fall over and I bend my wrist and I have an injury. Does the book of quantum 
say how much money I should get for that injury? Kind of. So, for example, with like whiplash and soft tissue damage, which a lot of the people in the Oireachtas were focusing on, these injuries can be awarded up to 77,900 at the moment, but no minimum figure is outlined, for example. And also it says in the book that the amounts should be done on a case by case basis. So there is actually, they're very loose guidelines. Okay, 77,000 euro. That's a lot of money. Uh, You mentioned there the Personal Injuries Assessment Board. What is that and what do they do? Uh, The Personal Injuries Assessment Board, or PIAB, as it might be referred to throughout the episode, Um, is Ireland's independent state body for assessing personal injury compensation. So they resolve around 20% of personal injury claims made and a further 70% then are settled and around 10% are actually brought to court. So a very minimal amount is actually brought to court. And I'm right in thinking that there's no solicitors involved if you just go through the PIAB or PIAB? Yeah. Okay. So to move to your fact check then, you were looking at whether 20% of the claims that insurance firms get are fraudulent or exaggerated. That's what they say happens. What did you find out? Basically, according to the industry, there is an issue with fraudulent claims. So as I said, you know, they're claiming that 20% of the claims they get are either potentially fraudulent or exaggerated. But the amounts they're actually reporting to Gardaí, which is what they should do for cases that are fraudulent or exaggerated, they're reporting a quite minimal amount to the Gardaí. So as Pierce pointed out in the Oireachtas, there were only 19 cases of fraud reported to Gardaí by members of the insurance industry between October 2018 and March 2019. And, you know, this is a hugely lower figure than the 20%. And in terms of that 20% figure as well, a 2013 report from Insurance Europe said that detected and undetected fraud is estimated to represent about 10% of all claims expenditure in Europe. Okay, so if the insurance firm say it's 20%, they'd be a massive outlier in terms of other European countries albeit that that's six years ago, that report. Of course, yeah. And also the 20% figure is based on their internal audits. So we have no way of actually seeing how accurate are or how they came to that figure. So according to the insurance firms, why are fraudulent claims adding to people's premiums? So the three companies who were in the Iraq this meeting, they were saying that there are three reasons for the insurance premiums going up. The main reason they were really giving was the high cost of court payouts which are obviously they're only given guidelines, um, the high legal fees and then the fraudulent and exaggerated claims. Thanks very much for that, Orla. And we'll see if there is much truth in those three things. Um, we're joined by Pierce Doherty from Sinn Féin in studio. Thanks very much for coming into us. I don't think there's anybody in the country who hasn't seen that viral clip of you um, talking to the industry chiefs at the Oireachtas Committee. Can you remind people what you found out about the fraudulent claims and how they relate to our insurance premiums for car, home and business insurance. Yeah, well, I had a line of questioning that that, that, that wasn't going to focus on this area at all. But uh, as the committee hearings went on, we heard a lot of arguments from the insurance industry. And this was the first time we had the, the CEOs of the three companies, FBD, and Alliance, before us. And they were very clearly making a, a big play in relation to a lot of the increase in premiums that people are, are seeing and feeling uh, is is not solely but in a large part down to to fraudulent claims and we've heard we heard figures from them that up to 20 percent of uh, claims were were fraudulent and and I knew that that wasn't accurate because we had uh, asked questions previous in relation to the number of Gardaí claims or Gardaí uh, reports from the insurance industry. And we knew from October of last year to March, a period of six months, that there was only 19 claims that have been made from the insurance industry to the Gardaí that they believe were, were fraudulent. And this follows on from a, a memorandum of understanding between the Gardaí and the insurance industry that they need to report uh, what they believe is fraudulent claims. Do, do Gardaí- 
Gardaí want them to report it or do Gardaí maybe feel overworked and are kind of happy enough that it's not reported? We had the Gardaí, senior Gardaí from the, the fraud squad in before us to deal with the issue of fraud insurance. But very clearly, because we asked this question of the Gardaí, they want all fraud, all suspected fraud to be reported to them. They're also very clear that they will investigate all reports that come in. But there's a separate matter to this here. It's not whether the Gardaí wanted it or not. It is illegal not to report fraud. So if the insurance industry believes that there's a fraudulent claim, they are breaking the law under Section 19 of the Criminal Justice Act 2011 by not reporting it. Anybody who believes that they have information that would assist the Gardaí in the protection or the prevention or detection of an individual in relation to committing a relevant crime, and in, in that law, a relevant crime is fraud, then if they don't report it, they're committing offence. Did you get any insights into what the industry's definition of fraudulent is when they say exaggerated or fraudulent? Are they conflating two things or do they have specific definitions? Well, the industry are trying to, I think when when we drill down to the figures and we expose the fact that there isn't 20% fraudulent claims within the sector and indeed the real figure is is 1% or, or, or less, they try to suggest, well, there's two different definitions. There's fraudulent claims and then there's exaggerated claims. Now, there is a memorandum of understanding between the Gardaí and the insurance industry, which took nearly a year and a half to agree. And it's there in black and white that uh, a fraudulent claim, an exaggerated claim is a fraudulent claim. We asked the Gardaí yesterday, is there a difference between an exaggerated claim and a fraudulent claim? No, they're exactly the same thing. So if somebody is in an accident and has their car damaged and then suggests that they have been um, personally injured as a result of it, uh, and that that personal injury is faked, that is an exaggerated claim. That is a fraudulent claim. There is no, there's no definition in, in, in legal basis of, of what's an exaggerated claim. It, it is only fraudulent. And the Gardaí are asking for all of those to be reported to them. It's interesting, earlier you said you weren't expecting to go down this route of questioning, um, but it became clear during the, the committee that they were focusing on it so much that you had to. But you, you were obviously able to get the information quite quickly then if... Yeah, well, for many people who are following this and, you know, who are looking at what is happening in terms of premium and listen to the spin from the industry, we know that it is nothing but spin. So we've known for quite some time that they're only reporting a handful of cases. So I gave you the figures of 19 in a period of six months. Today, the total amount that they've uh, reported since October last year has been 50 uh, cases. And so I knew that information. We had that confirmed by us by the Minister for Justice. So probably last week was an opportunity to put their own figures right back at them. And it's not just the only area where the insurance industry are spinning like the insurance industry are a multi-billion euro industry they've they've spent a lot of money in relation to this spin there have been ads in the past running an rte about uh, fraudulent claims there's been suggestions for example that fraudulent claims uh, cost every policyholder 50 euro there is absolutely no basis no evidence to to back up that and it's a way of kind of justifying the type of hikes and premiums that we've seen in, in recent years but the industry will also uh, lead you to believe that the irish are uh, are just itching uh, to take a claim against the industry that you know that we've we're, we're way beyond what are the norms in in, in in different jurisdictions and that's not true either uh, a comparison which can be done very easily uh, a comparison between the number of personal injury claims in Ireland compared to Britain 
um, it shows that we're actually less uh, frequent to make a claim. So Britain has 14 times, uh, or the United Kingdom has 14 times uh, the uh, population of Ireland, yet the number of personal injury claims is 30 times more. So we're claiming half as little as what is happening in Britain. Uh, so that, that, that though some of that spin just simply doesn't add up. And when you actually get rid of that spin, then you can start dealing with the real issues of why our premiums increasing the way they are, why our business is closing down, why are some of the festivals that should be running this summer not able to run because of insurance premiums? Yeah, that was going to be my next question. Like everyone, I think, knows because all of us have to have insurance in, in some, if we own a car, if you own a house, there, there's some part of the industry that you're going to have to come to, into, in, into connection with at some point. But why do we have premiums that just keep increasing? Why is there no disruptor? Why is there no Ryanair that will bring prices down? Well, probably for, to get the answer of that, you probably need to look at some of what the European uh, authorities are doing. You need to look at what happened two years ago in relation to the Dawn raids in, in certain sections of the industry uh, and look at the ongoing investigation. Um, and it's been mentioned before that there's a kind of cartel type activity here, that there's a closed shop mentality and it's difficult for the, those disruptors to come in and enter what the What specifically is making it difficult? Uh, transparency and data. So you cannot come in and, and and set up an insurance company without the access to the data of claims, uh, of the risks that are there, and that that information isn't being shared. It's it's closed. It's it's concealed within the industry, uh, and that's what the subject of the investigation at European level is. Uh, so therefore, if you're if an insurance company is settling a fraudulent claim because it's easier for them to settle it than 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 actually challenge it, it's not a competitive disadvantage to them because everybody else is doing the same thing. It only becomes a competitive disadvantage to them if there is a, if there is a disruptor, if there's somebody who's not doing that. Is there some fairness in, in what they say and what you were saying there about sometimes it's easier just to settle a claim even if there is a slight suspicion of fraudulent activity? And I'm thinking here of working in the media. Um, people will have heard about the defamation laws that make our jobs incredibly difficult at times. And there have been media companies who would have spurious defamation claims and they would settle them out of court the the claimant would get money even though there would be no defamation there and it would be but it would be incredibly expensive and incredibly difficult to fight so is there any sympathy that we can have for the insurance firms that fighting each of these suspicious cases would be onerous i think there's probably a, a difference between the issue of defamation and and the insurance industry because in a, in a defamation case with a, a media outlet and if it's suspicious and you know it's probably easier to prove that, I would argue, than in terms of insurance, because like usually it's in print or there's a video there, or there's a recording in relation to that. And then it's about whether that was defamation. And one of the big problems in terms of defamation is when you go to a court, you simply have no idea what is going to be awarded. So the individual could be awarded as little as one cent, as we've seen in, 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 in a quite infamous case here, or they could be awarded by a jury uh, a huge amount, which could put the, the, the company, the media outlet in breach. In relation to insurance, it's, it's different because what happens in insurance policies and the incentive for the insurance industry to set, settle spurious claims is that it is automatically passed on to the customer. So as a result of uh, settling an, uh, a spurious claim, what happens is the no, no claims policy of the company is gone and uh, their insurance premium immediately rises um, and you don't have the same the same factor. So the industry isn't really in the same way carrying the can. There's less risk there for them and that is the problem. When everybody is doing the same thing, 
there is then no really competitive advantage from going to another person because once you've lost your no claims bonus, you're you're, you're not going to get insurance from any other uh, other company, and that's the problem. There is there is no disadvantage for the insurance industry at this point in time. For, for settling those claims. How can we fix this or is there a way to fix this? I, I think there's no silver bullet in relation to the issue of, of fallen premiums. I think the, the first thing is getting rid of the spin in terms of the industry so that we can actually lay bare what are the, the real reasons. So one of the big reasons in terms of why we're seeing premiums increase, uh, particularly in the last year, is because the, the companies themselves had made super profits. That's happened at a time when the number of claims uh, that were made last year have actually fallen, it's fallen marginally, uh, and the number of awards that have been paid out uh, by the insurance companies has also fallen by 20%. And again, the insurance industry would like us all to believe it's all about fraudulent claims. We are claiming far too much. And the awards are far too high. Now, there's a great truth in all of that, but it doesn't explain anything, it, it, the reasons why the industry are, 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 I've used the word gouging to their face, are gouging their, 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 their own uh, customers in this regard. But there's a number of things that can be done. So we need to actually, it, whatever the level of fraudulent claims are, we need to stamp it out. And that's why we've argued uh, and had the Gardaí before us yesterday, we want to see a specialised unit within the Gardaí that would look at uh, the investigation of fraud. Now, that's not happening at this point in time. There was a talk of it happening, but funded by the insurance firms themselves. Yeah, which makes no sense. And, you know, the Owen Murphy was the minister at the time and there was a report launched on the, the cost of insurance for, for motor. Recommendations were all good. The timelines were, were, were not good because they were kind of a year, a year and a half down the road. But this proposal um, stuck out to us and we recognised it straight away and and, and 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 said it can't happen. The idea of the ins- of a private company, no matter who they are, funding uh, a section of our Gardaí Shikana is a red line that should not be, be crossed. What other fixes are there that would help our premiums come down and people don't sit around talking about how <clears throat> their car insurance is 1,900 euros, one of the lads in the office said earlier? Well, transparency is the key thing. Anybody who's been looking at this here is it, transparency and transparency from the industry is is key. So, like up until two thousand and fifteen, we had data uh, which showed um, very very minutiae data uh, in in relation to what the insurance industry were charging, the amount of claims that were being made, the kind of profits and all that. That's all gone. It was the blue book. It was data that was held by the central bank. All of that's gone at, at this point in time. So there's no transparency now. What what the argument against bringing it back in if you were if it was a government minister that was sitting here would say well we're we're going to bring in a new claims register and uh, now the claims register won't be public it'll be there for the industry it's something that we we very much support but it's only for motor insurance it doesn't include public liability at all so there'll be no information in relation to public liability and um, which is obviously your businesses your festivals your farming marts and so on and so forth so we need to hear the claims say if you someone slips or says they slipped on a pool of water on a on a shop floor etc <laughs> Exactly, and like data, data is crucially important here. It's it's also crucially important for a competitor because we need more competitors here to, to disrupt the market. There are a number of other things that can be done. We need to look at some other models. We need to look at the models, for example, in terms of New Zealand, the no fault model, where you're you're taking the the insure the the solicitors out of the equation, and there's a, there's a kind of an automatic kind of payment uh, for uh, for an injury if it's if it's if it's tested, um, and if it's
it's if it's valid. There's a piece of legislation that I have, the insurance contract bills that's uh, gone before committee. It's been stalled for two years. It's passed the doll. It, that will actually radically reform how insurance contracts uh, are entered into. It means that insurance companies, for example, won't be allowed to um, void a policy because you didn't inform them of something that they believe you should inform them. So now the onus will be on them uh, to ask you the question. And if they don't ask you the question, it's their fault, not your fault. Obviously, if you... Can you give me an ex- example of that? So I'll give you an example of... Um, I'll give you an example of if a, if a house burnt down at the minute, it was hit by lightning and caused the house to burn down and you had insurance policy in relation to that. So you were making your claim for a quarter of a million to to rebuild your family home. But on the insurance contract, uh, it said that you had to have a burglar alarm. And the burglar alarm might have allowed you to have a 5% reduction in your premium as a result of that because your home is better protected. And the burglar alarm said in the contract that it was a grade A alarm. And when the inspectors come out and look at it, they see that it was a grade B alarm. So therefore, you have lied, in their view, to the insurance uh, company Um, because it's a grade B, so therefore they avoid your entire claim and you get nothing, despite the fact that it was nothing to do with the burglar, it's nothing to do with the alarm, it was actually the lightning that burnt down your house. So this will now change that they will not be able to void contracts as a result of that. But there'll also be, as part of that insurance, a requirement on the industry to uh, inform you of if a claim has been made against you. And this probably is a good example of how intransigent, in my view, the industry is. The idea that after two years of discussion between the department and the industry, that they still will not voluntarily agree to inform somebody when a claim has been made against them. And we have to legislate in the Arachthus to do that just shows you how in my view, secretive this industry is uh, and how how they're not willing to be transparent and provide information in relation to the consumer. They won't tell you, for example, when they're asking you to renew your insurance premium for, 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 a, for motor insurance, they won't tell you how much you paid last year. Simple things like that there that would empower the consumer to shop around, to see if that's a good contract or not. And, and that's what some of the difficulties that we have. But there's many other things that we can, we can do that are small. But one of the big problems, Sinead, is that when I first got involved in political activism when I was a teenager, the first campaign that I was ever involved in was a campaign called MyJag, Motor Insurance Justice Action Group. Um, I still have the old emails from. So this is a, a long book, bear. <laughs> it is, and and at the time there was a huge issue, and there still is. But at that time there was a huge issue in terms of young people being insured, and young men in particular. Y- young men in stage, particular, yeah. yeah. And there was a there was a major campaign at that time, and there was reforms uh, that came in. There was new structures that were brought in, to, and insurance premiums did actually drop, in in the, in the subsequent years, back fifteen years ago. The insurance industry, and we still have it, the insurance industry was given uh, us a table saying that if you do A, then insurance premiums are likely to reduce by 2%. If you do B, it'll be another 10% and so on and so forth. So they were able to say that, yes, look, if you set up a dedicated fraud squad for an argument, then that may reduce premium by 1% or half a percent. If you introduce road safety measures, it might reduce it by 3% and so on. The Judicial Council Bill could, you know, and the awards and bringing down the level of awards could reduce it by X. At this point in time, the insurance industry won't do that. They simply will not do that. And the big fear in... 
the Oireachtas is we can bring in these reforms, we're willing to bring in the reforms, we need to, we need to and we want to bring in the reforms, but the real fear is that this money will just end up in the pockets of the industry as opposed to being passed on to consumers. Something has obviously changed in the industry in the last 15 years. You've used a multiple, multiple examples um, over this conversation. Is there something inherently wrong at the moment with the model of the of the insurance industry in Ireland? There is some talk about um, bad investments, bad management impeding that if they do change the premium model, that there will be no profits or negligible profits. There is. There is. And I, I can remember a conversation I had with the industry a number of years back and they talked about the boom and bust model and they believe that that's there's no change to that model. So they, they suggest that premiums will go up and then they will drop and then they will go back up. And that's not a sustainable model. It may be sustainable for the industry, but it's not a sustainable model for business. So if you're running a pub and your premiums are increasing dramatically year on year, then, you know, it's just that's not they can't budget on that basis. Like we have I was talking to a, a truck driver and his premiums went in the space of four years from 32,000 up to 218,000 euro. Now, that's not something that his projections can actually deal with. So you can't, that boom and bust model can't work. And what you touched on there in terms of the investments is actually one of the core reasons um, why insurance premiums increased in the previous years. Because what happens with the insurance industry is they take our premiums, they take all our money, and then they basically gamble them on the on, on the on the markets. Now they usually buy kind of government bonds which are more secure, but as a result of uh, quantitative easing, and we're going into other issues, but as a result of quantitative easing and bonds and the yields and bonds, you don't get two or three percent anymore. Like even Ireland with the high debt that we have, the bondholders are now paying us to take their money. So therefore, the insurance industry aren't getting the return on their investment. So if you look at, and we've done a lot of this, we use the Freedom of Information Act definitely on a weekly basis, and sometimes on a daily basis, we put in questions. So we have a lot of documentation between the central bank, the Department of Finance in relation to the insurance industry. And this is one of the areas that they have pointed out to in terms of the central bank, that it is because of bad investments by the insurance industry that are now being passed on to the consumer that people have seen their prices going up. They also, in those freedom of information requests that we got through, make it very clear that the former governor of the central bank, Patrick Honan, uh, said very clearly to the Minister for Finance at the time, Michael Noonan, that the industry were providing deliberately um, misleading data. You know, they basically were lying to them. Um, but the governor of the central bank said that they have no power to do anything about it because there is, a, as he called it, a lacuna in the law, a loophole in the law that doesn't allow for you to prosecute an individual within the insurance industry for deliberately providing false and misleading information to the central bank. And that has happened. And the central bank has acknowledged that, brought it to the Minister for Finance about four or five years ago. We've legislation to make that an offence, to make that a crime. Could, could could lead up to imprisonment if, if you Presumably if you it's a fine if it's someone in the financial institutions outside of the insurance it, industry to lie to a central It bank. is in relation to a bank, um, but it's not in relation to the insurance industry. The problem here is that the industry can only be, the company itself can only be fined, but the individual can't. And therefore what happens is the individual sends the information on and the, 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 there, there's no comeback. So like, you know, people will make, make genuine mistakes and all the rest. We're not talking about this here. We're talking talking about you know a multi-billion euro industry that is deliberately providing false and misleading information to the central bank and there's nothing that can be done about it but there's a huge willingness across the 
political divide and I'd be critical of, 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 of government in relation to maybe the length of time that they're bringing in some of the um, reforms that are needed. But I think there's a, a genuine sense that we're willing to do stuff on insurance if we believe that the insurance industry will result in premiums. But what I'm not willing to do is allow the insurance industry to try and point the finger at consumers for the reason that they're gouging their customers when the real reason is is that they made over a thousand euro percent profits last year. Just to give you a wee antidote because we've talked a lot about fraud and it's you know that's what the insurance industry wants us to talk about but there is far more people who have legitimate insurance policies who are involved in minor accidents uh, and who don't claim and I'll give you an example. Last Tuesday before I went into the meeting with the um, with the insurance company as I was parking in Leinster House, I hit another TD's car uh, and scratched the door of, of his car and went to sort him out and, and told him that um, I, I, as I was parking, I, I scraped his car. And the first thing he said to me, well, we won't go through the insurance industry. Because, and that isn't right. Uh, you know, it's obviously right, the right thing to do f- between ourselves because, but that isn't the right thing to do. If I'm paying insurance... And he's off, paying insurance. And he's paying insurance, but it would come off my policy because I was at fault. It, if I'm paying insurance and have paid it of thousands of euro over the years, the reason I pay insurance is that when I have a minor accident or indeed a major accident, then I will should be able to claim without fear of being absolutely punished and tortured by the company. But that isn't how the model works. Yeah, I think anyone who drives has some experience of that. Um, Pierre Sardi, thanks very much for explaining that. But to get into what it's like to actually take a claim, we're joined on the line by Peter Boland from the Alliance for Insurance Reform. Peter, we've just been talking there about um, how claimants can find it difficult to actually go and take a claim. Um, Can you explain exactly what happens when someone needs to go to their insurance firm um, for a payment? Okay, well, I would suggest that it's actually very, very easy. And in, in fact, what I'd suggest is that the whole system of making a claim has been uh, streamlined uh, over the years to make it as easy as possible to put a claim in. And it has been additionally weaponized uh, in order to extract the most money possible from policyholders. And I'll explain exactly what I mean by that. So say an incident happens or is alleged to have happened um, and an injury is sustained or is alleged to have been sustained the first thing that will happen is that incident will be reported either either to the policyholder uh, or the policyholder will become aware of it when they receive a solicitor's letter. At that point, uh, they are obliged under the terms and conditions of their insurance to inform their insurer. So this is if someone's claiming against them, if they have a business and someone has taken a fall in it or they own a car and they've had an accident? If they have a business or they're a sports club or a charity or a voluntary group, then typically they'll have been aware been aware of the incident at the time or they'll be made aware of it uh, by being notified. And typically when that happens, it's, it's by way of a solicitor's letter. Now, the insurer's informed straight away. That potential claim or claim, depending on the circumstances, immediately goes on to the policy of the policyholder as a reserve. And what that means is then that the policy is automatically increased at the next renewal. So at this stage, all we may have got is an accident report form 
or a, a notification of an accident or a suggestion that there may be a claim, but it automatically goes on to the premium at the next renewal. Uh, and it, that to us sounds wrong. Uh, and additionally, that increment is never refunded, regardless of the outcome. Even if the, even if the claim is never made, you still never get that money back. Your premium has gone up and, and you never get refunded. Exactly. So then take it on further. We go into a process. Um, most personal injury claims in Ireland start off at PIAB, the Personal Injuries Assessment Board. PIAB will take the claim and make a judgment on the value of it if liability is not disputed. Um, if liability is disputed, then PIAB is bypassed. Or if one or other party disagrees with the award that PIAB decides on, uh, then PIAB is, is ignored. It then moves towards the courts, but only 6% get to court. There's a massive black hole in between. 74% of cases are settled in a private deal between the insurers and the solicitors. Now, the key thing about that is everybody gets paid. So the solicitors get paid on these private deals. The barristers get paid. Uh, the claimant gets paid, probably a little bit more than they would have got from PIAB. And the insurer passes the costs on. So essentially, in that secret deal, everybody gets paid and the policyholder foots the entire bill. Now, uh, I said already that this system was weaponized uh, in order to extract the most money. This is where things get interesting. Uh, as it stands, the policyholder currently has no right to be kept informed in that process. So we have many case studies where policyholders have been adamant that a claim was fraudulent, have instructed their insurance company not to settle uh, and then haven't heard a thing until they find out that the case was actually settled. And and the effect then on them is they, whatever payment has been made is really just put onto their premium for the years to come? Well, that's it. So their 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 premium has already increased because the, the claim was made. Now their premium goes up even further because a settlement has been made. So there's a double whammy there. The other weaponized part of this is that uh, recent trends in court decisions would suggest that there is now an absolute duty of care on a policyholder. So if you're the uh, occupier of a premises or you're organizing an event, essentially you nowadays, certainly going by court decisions that we've, we've seen, have an absolute duty of care. So there's no attempt to decide whether a claimant was negligent or not. So essentially the concept of personal responsibility has been much diminished over the last number of years. Now there is legislation in the area which would suggest that some attempts should be made uh, to decide whether a claimant was liable or not. Um, but that seems to have gone out the window uh, in reality uh, in a lot of cases over the last while. I think most people listening um, will think that the, the whole sector seems at the moment to be just run in a bonkers way and that whenever there is that transparency allowed, that a disruptor will come to the market and undermine all the insurance firms that are there at the moment and take customers away in their hundreds of thousands. So surely it's something that the insurance firms are looking at. How can they make themselves more sustainable rather than just 
continually increasing people's premiums to the point that they won't be able to afford them. One of the key issues from what I've outlined is that they have very little scope uh, to get the cost of claims down um, because the structure is set up in such a way that it's very hard for them to, to reduce costs. Now, there's a huge incentive for them on individual cases to settle early and minimize costs. But the net effect of that, and it goes back to your original question in terms of how this happened, is that it has encouraged more and more claims. Because if you go back to your mates and say, I put in a claim, uh, it was processed quickly, I got 15, 20 grand out of it, and I didn't even have to go to court, then that creates an upswell Certainly modern maths would suggest that if you want to get control of this situation, you have to dispute cases, uh, you have to contest them. And the experience of our members is that in the majority of cases, uh, they are not disputed and they are not contested. Um, so the system as it's structured makes it very difficult for insurers to, to offer any greater value. But they're responsible for that structure in a lot of ways. Uh, the other ele element of it that has added fuel to the fire is the fact that so many solicitors offer no fall, no fee arrangements on personal injury claims. Uh, for someone who's thinking of having a punt, uh, it's entirely cost effective uh, for them to go into a solicitor uh, and generate a claim. So if, the, if they don't win, the solicitor doesn't need to get paid? Uh, that's correct. Yeah, and that leads on to one of the other uh, ways in which this system is is uh, so set against policyholders. In the case where a decision is made in favour of the policyholder, the threat of an appeal to a higher court and the costs associated with that will sometimes be used to force agreement on a settlement and lawyers' fees. If you could get one thing changed in the next week immediately, what would what would be your first thing that you'd want reformed in, in the sector? Straight away, we would reduce uh, the amount of general damages being awarded for very minor, fully recovered injuries. So I'll, I'll give you an example of that and why it's so important. Um, in your studio there, I suspect that there's probably cables running around the, the floor. And it's extremely tidy in this in this studio, Peter. <laughs> okay, I'll take your word for it, Sinead. Uh, There's a few boxes, all right, on, on my right here. Okay, so say you get up and you trip over one of those boxes and uh, you land awkwardly on your thumb, you bruise it. There's no ligament damage, there's no breakage. Uh, it swells up uh, to a certain extent. You take a couple of paracetamol tonight, it's sore tomorrow and the following day it's fine again. If you take a claim on that... Uh, against the studio, that's worth up to €21,200 to you through PIAB. Um, if you take it, if you have an ambitious solicitor and you take it to court, you'll probably get a few bob extra. If I missed a match, I play camogie. If I if I missed a match, could I get thirty thousand? Well, <laughs> if it if it affects a uh, lucrative camogie career, you possibly could. <laughs> Although I'm not sure there is such a thing exists, but uh, um, certainly. Uh, that level is the fuel that is firing this whole thing. And if you, it, it's important, there's a couple of caveats to that that are very important to, or, or, or clarifications that are very important to make. The first one is that um, this is only about 
general damages for minor injuries. So it doesn't include special damages, which are the damages that will cover loss of earnings or the damages that would include medical bills. They're covered separately under special damages and nobody has any issue with those. Uh, they're a simple mathematical calculation uh, and it's only fair uh, if you suffer an injury due to somebody else's negligence that you're compensated for your medical bills and your loss of earnings. The other issue is that uh, nobody in my experience has any problem with damages for more serious injuries so it's 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 very difficult to fake a broken leg for example or um, more serious injuries they are typically genuine and nobody has any truck with that so this is all about soft tissue injuries uh, very minor fully recovered thanks Peter for explaining all of that to us and thank you Pierce and Orla for coming into studio today thank you for listening to The Explainer this episode was produced by our assistant producer and tech operator Nikki Ryan thanks also to our executive producer Christine Bohan and producer Aoife Barry Orlo Dwyer from the Journal.ie was our main contributor today along with Pierce Doherty and Peter Boland I'm Sinead O'Carroll and we'll be back next week with a brand new topic in the meantime check out some of our other episodes last week Nikki found out what's behind the feuds in Drogheda while there are also episodes on the Patrick Nevin and Anna Creasel trials we've also looked at how the Healy Rays have remained undefeated in elections and why we're in danger of losing our measles clear status in Ireland. If you're enjoying the episodes, please leave us a review and rating wherever you listen to your podcasts. It will bring the explainer to many more people. Thank you and catch you next time.